It's Thursday, September 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Walmart, the biggest retailer in the world, is discontinuing sales of short barrel rifle ammo, handgun ammo, and handguns altogether after facing backlash for not pulling weapons after two deadly shootings in its stores. The CEO of Walmart will also be asking the White House and members of Congress for common sense action on guns. Lauren Thomas, retail reporter at CNBC, joins us for more. Next, the Trump administration is moving ahead with plans to divert $3.6 billion for military construction projects to build a border wall. This new funding would go toward 11 wall projects and would affect as many as 127 military projects. Sarah Ferris, congressional reporter at Politico, joins us for updates on the border wall. Finally, it's a big question for a lot of people. Can I fly with my weed? 10 states so far have legalized recreational marijuana, but there are many contradictions between federal and state laws. And with the booming marijuana tourism industry, it can be very hard to figure it all out. Scott McCartney, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the good news. The TSA, for the most part, isn't looking for your pot. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. If you really understand what Doug McMillan is doing today, uh, he is publicly stepping into the arena on the issue of gun violence in America. He is writing letters uh, to the president. Uh, he is writing letters to Congress. He is advocating not just for what he's doing inside his own stores, but for a larger debate uh, in Washington on this issue. Joining us now is Lauren Thomas, retail reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We're going to be talking about some new changes at Walmart. They're planning to step back from ammunition sales and uh, completely stepping away from handgun sales in Alaska. That was the last place that they were selling these. They're also asking shoppers to no longer openly carry firearms in stores where states allow for that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit more about what they're planning and what's behind these decisions. So Walmart announced earlier this week on Tuesday that it will no longer be selling handguns. So stepping out of that category entirely Alaska was the last state left that it was still selling handguns and will no longer be selling handgun ammunition and also short barrel rifle ammunition, which Walmart pointed out can be used in some military style weapons. So obviously this is in wake of two shootings, unfortunately, that took place at Walmart stores earlier this summer. And it took some time, I think, for C. CEO Doug McMillan, you know, he had said for a few weeks here now that they were trying to think through this deliberately. I'm sure shoppers stand on both sides of the gun debate. So I think it took some time for Walmart to ultimately decide what they were going to do. And I think they took a pretty big stance earlier this week in announcing that this is what they're going to do. And it, it won't be an overnight change. If you have some of this stuff in your local Walmart store, you won't see it removed overnight. The company says it's going to phase out sales of these items. So it will sell through essentially what inventory is left in stores right now, and then we'll no longer restock those categories, like you said. Going back to those shootings, we all know the one that happened at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas, where 22 right. people were killed. It was four days earlier that a disgruntled employee killed two Walmart workers in Mississippi. So just the close proximity of these different things happening within their stores, I'm sure impacted the workers there themselves, just kind of the whole thought process of employees and customers. You mentioned that the CEO, Doug McMillan, had put out a memo distributed to employees, but 
Did he mention yeah. anything about what he had been hearing from the community or just even other stores and other managers and things like that? Yeah, and I think you see people on, on both sides of this issue, so certainly have a, a lot to think through there when you're in Doug's shoes. You know, he even mentioned in his memo that he sent to employees earlier this week, You know, he owns a gun himself, and Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, was an avid hunter. So obviously, you have to think through things and take that in, into consideration, but I think you saw after those shootings, there was just a lot of the Walmart workers and employees and stores were really riled up after that and just concerned about safety, I think, more than anything out because even in the weeks after that, there were additional threats at certain Walmart locations throughout the country where either, you know, the threat of someone potentially showing up at a store with a gun or saying on Twitter, you know, I'm going to go to this Walmart location with a gun. And a few of those instances, there were arrests made of individuals, you know, no additional deaths, but just these ongoing threats. So I think Walmart realized we've got to do something here. And I think that's where the open carry decision maybe came into play. So again, like you said, at Walmart and Sam's Club location, even where there is open carry legislation on the books, they're asking customers to no longer do that. And they said that they'll start with just informing their managers at all the stores of this and to just ask customers in stores not to carry a gun, obviously, but they're going to put additional signage into stores as well over the next few weeks to kind of communicate all of these changes. Let's talk about one of the important aspects of this, the money, because whether people want to be on a, on a moral side of this and guns and the whole gun debate, we've all been through it many times. For Walmart, they're a company and a lot of it has to do with money. How much do they make off of this? How much are these sales a part of their mix? So in covering their business, obviously at CNBC, you know, we were all looking for kind of some figures to wrap our head around this business. So last month, they gave us an idea of their market share in this space. So they said they only made up about 2% of the market for firearms today. And so that wouldn't even put them as a top three seller in that industry. And they also said at the time, they estimated that they have about a 20% share of the market for ammunition. So obviously, that's a little bit larger. Now, in following Tuesday, Day's announcement, their market share of ammunition, they said, will drop to closer to 6% to 9% of that industry. So going from 20 to a range of 6 to 9 and they think over time that will actually shrink even more. If you really want to think about the business aspect here, it's not really a high margin category to be in right. to begin with. And we had a call with the company on Tuesday as well. And the vice president of corporate affairs told us Walmart has already big sporting guns business to begin with. And so they don't think that this will really be a, a big impact to their business, I guess, that they can make up for those sales in other ways. A good comp and I think a company that a lot of us have followed as well as Dick Sporting Goods, who has been pulling out of the hunting category following the Parkland, Florida shooting, which happened at a high school in 2018. The CEO, Ed Stack, came out and made some pretty dramatic cutbacks in that space. And they've said that in stores, you know, where they've pulled out of hunting entirely, they've actually seen sales go up because they've replaced it with baseball and some of these other uh, categories where they're actually able to bring in even more shoppers. So as you think about the business aspect of all of this, I'm not so sure that Walmart is going to lose a lot of sales. Lauren Thomas, retail reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We think by the end of next year, which will be sometime right after the election, actually, but we think we're going to have close to 500 miles of wall, which will be uh, complete. Joining us now is Sarah Ferris, congressional reporter at Politico. 
Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. The Trump administration is moving ahead with plans to divert $3.6 billion from military construction projects to build or fortify portions of a border wall. Defense Secretary Mark Esper called Nancy Pelosi and let her know about some of the funding shifts. Tell us a little bit about what's in this plan so far, what we know and what's going to be impacted. So the White House is executing this plan, which has been in the works for more than a year. And this is basically a way for the White House to circumvent Congress and the decision that lawmakers made last year to not spend additional money for President Trump's border wall. So instead of being rejected by Congress, the Trump administration decided to go ahead and divert some money from military construction projects in dozens of states that will go toward fortifying a lot of fencing around the country in, in several different locations along the southern border. And this has been a pretty controversial decision. And this is something that has been challenged by Republicans as well as Democrats. There are Republicans who think this could potentially jeopardize national security. Of course, these are Pentagon dollars. This is not something Republicans are normally willing to part with. They're torn between their allegiance to President Trump and this longtime allegiance to the Pentagon. And, and the Republican Party has, has always been loyal to military funding and trying to increase that, not let it be diverted into other things, and especially not when Congress is being circumvented entirely. So this is reaching a peak this week, but we've known this has been coming for more than a year. So uh, there's a total of 127 military projects that are going to be impacted by this. I've seen reporting all over the place. Some has said that over 20 states will see projects impacted by this. We're still waiting for an official list of exactly which projects will be impacted and why, because that was something that was requested. That's right. So the Pentagon is painstakingly calling every single member whose district is going to be affected by this. So the Pentagon is not going to release a list of all the projects until every member is specifically notified. And a couple of lawmakers have come out and announced that there are projects within their district that have been affected. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and the other New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand have said that there will be millions of dollars coming out of the military academy at West Point. And so that's going to be something to watch because obviously that's a very coveted academy and there's a lot of Republicans who are going to be upset that there's money taken out of that account. So that's just what we've seen so far. There will be announcements later this afternoon about exactly which projects are going to be affected. And of course, we'll be looking for how many of these projects are in Democratic seats and how many come from Republican seats. If there's any kind of discrepancy, you're going to see party leaders cry foul of that. You mentioned that some of the criticism was that it could impact military readiness. There's been a lot of different scandals over poor living conditions for service members in several parts of the country. But the Pentagon has said that none of these projects would affect housing or critical infrastructure for troops. So the Pentagon has been clear that this might come from research laboratories or specific bases, but they've said that it's not going to be impacting family housing or anything that directly impacts military families. The big fight I see coming, because this is kind of the weird thing, is that defense officials said that they hope Congress will appropriate more money to backfill the military construction projects that get cut. So this is kind of the workaround. The Trump administration is taking the money away from these projects and then they're hoping that Congress will just allocate more money for it, in effect, basically paying for the border wall. 
Exactly. They're hoping to get this money backfilled. So the Pentagon is very careful to say that none of these projects are being canceled. They say that instead the funding has been deferred. And of course, that's up to Congress. Will Democrats be willing to move around money when they know the White House has been playing games? I think the answer is no. But there's also going to be a lot of pressure from these home state lawmakers who will be hearing from their constituents if money is is going out of their districts. So this could be something that Democrats are forced to do if there's a lot of their members back home and worried about those hundreds of millions of dollars not going into their districts. So that's going to be an issue for next year's funding fight. But we also have a funding deadline coming up in a couple of weeks. I imagine this will be a pretty big part of that. There will be a lot of Democrats pressuring Republicans to increase the funding to make up for that. So we'll see that, that the deadline for that yeah. is September 30th. And I think some Democrats are already saying that they're not going to play the game and they're not going to reappropriate money for the affected projects. Okay, so the last question, the big question We're diverting all these billions of dollars now. How much wall are we going to get out of this? I think I've seen that they're going to be working on 11 different wall projects in California, Arizona, and Texas. That's right. And so this is all rebuilding portions of wall. So the precise details of each project are still kind of up in the air. There's a lot of different states at play here. What the president really cares about is getting the 500 miles of wall that he's promised before the election. So he's been saying he wants to have 500 miles by November 2020. He's even reportedly told his staff that he's willing to pardon them if they're able to go out of out of their way to make sure this funding exists. So he's suggesting that his own administration might be willing to make illegal maneuvers to make this happen. So we know that this is a huge priority of the White House, exactly where it's built, how it's built. That's something that even the president himself hasn't really cared about all that much, as long as there are the images and what he can project at campaign rallies over the next year. Sarah Ferris, congressional reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Legal to buy. It's <laughs> it's difficult to use, and good luck. Uh, you really shouldn't be taking it home yeah. unless you're looking for uh, potential hassle at the airport. Joining us now is Scott McCartney, author of the Middle Seat column for the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Good to be with you. We're going to be talking about the murky world of traveling with marijuana. There's 10 states right now that have legalized recreational marijuana. Illinois is in the process of legalizing And, you know, with this comes all the questions, can I travel with my marijuana? There's also this whole other thing in these states. There's uh, this marijuana tourism that is getting really big. So maybe you go to a state where marijuana is legal. You buy some, you want to go home with it. You can't, maybe can't finish it all. So there's a lot of questions that arise on if you can take this with you to the airport and, and fly away with it. But there's all sorts of federal laws, there's state laws, it can get very confusing. Scott, help us out with this. What do we know about traveling with marijuana? We, we know it is really complicated. So you're right. The federal law is pretty simple and clear. It is illegal to take marijuana across state lines. So even if you're going from a state where it has been legalized to another state where recreational marijuana is legal, it's still illegal to cross that state line from a federal perspective. So that means when you get to the airport, your federal jurisdiction is really with the TSA when you're leaving. When you return to the country from abroad, 
It's Customs and Border Protection, and that's a whole other thing. They actually have dogs that sniff for drugs and stuff, so that's a whole lot more perilous. But TSA's charge, their duty, is to stop planes from getting blown up or taken over or whatever. They're protecting aviation, and marijuana has nothing to do with that. So TSA says they're looking for threats. They're not looking for marijuana. But then the problem is, well, what happens if they find it? And they may well find it. People don't realize that the x-ray scanners actually do look for organic material. So it's the reason why your food can sometimes get snagged. I had a bag once with chocolate chips from Trader Joe's, and, <laughs> and those chocolate chips on an x-ray scanner apparently look like fertilizer pellets. Oh, wow. Um, so and it's all color-coded, too, so there could be a confusion that pops up when you're looking at the scanner. Well, when you're looking at the scanner, the color code, it really has more to do with density and material, not chocolate versus vanilla. Right. So then the question is, what does the TSA do? So they find something that they think is illegal, but it may be legal locally, and they turn you over to the local police. And the local police in Boston, for example, the Massachusetts State Police works the airport. So the law in Massachusetts is, in small amounts, marijuana is legal. And so the state police says, well, not our problem. And so they release you. Some police departments will confiscate the marijuana before they send you back to the TSA checkpoint. And others say, hey, that's not our job. And in Los Angeles, the airport police say you can go on your way. And it gets even more complicated in some places in Oregon, for example. If TSA turns you over to the local police, they look at your boarding pass. And if you have a Boarding pass for a destination within the state of Oregon, they let you fly. If your boarding pass is outside the state of Oregon, then they don't let you fly. So it gets really tricky for travelers. And in the beginning, with marijuana tourism, with just people going on trips and the availability and and everything, there are millions of people flying today with small amounts of marijuana. And a lot of your article is focused on Las Vegas. They do have a booming marijuana tourism industry. Obviously, everybody's going there for the casinos and the fun and going to the strip. But that's one place in particular where the laws are really confusing. You can have marijuana there in Las Vegas, but you cannot have it at the airport. You cannot have it on the strip or in the casinos or in your hotel rooms. But everywhere else, you're pretty much okay. But everywhere else is so limited. Right, exactly. Um, I was impressed in talking to some of the dispensaries. You know, one said 85% of their customers are from out of state. And sometimes they come straight from the airport with their (laughs) luggage. You got to make that important first stop. It is an important first stop. So then the question is, where can you consume it? And you can't smoke it in public. You can't take it into your hotel room. In the casinos, they're so concerned about this and running afoul. It's kind of the same problem, running afoul of federal law that they don't allow possession of it within the casino hotel. So it's legal to possess in Las Vegas, but the hotels don't want you to have it. And it's not just weed, it's edibles, it's vaping, whatever. So the casino security people, if they see you walking through the lobby with a bag from a dispensary, perfectly legally purchased, they'll confiscate it. If the housekeeping staff finds weed in your room, they'll confiscate it. They don't allow it on the property. So hotel rooms are out, rental cars are out, the public is out, although plenty of people do it. Right. And the state has not allowed lounges, consumption lounges. That was something that was 
legalized, but the governor has declared a moratorium on opening any lounges while they study it further. That, you know, that may come, that may be a more reasonable solution, but it's legal to buy. It's <laughs> it's difficult to use and good luck. Uh, you really shouldn't be taking it home yeah. unless you're looking for uh, potential hassle at the airport. Scott McCartney, author of the Middle Seat column for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Great to be with you, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.